Hello, you're listening to the Various and Sundry Things podcast, the vast podcast. I am your host, Donna Gay Tyler. Hello, everybody. Welcome back if you're rejoining me and welcome if this is your first time. Welcome to the vast podcast. As already um, stated, I am Donna Gay Tyler, your host. I'm going to jump right in. I hope that you've been well in the last week since the last time we talked. Um, I have quite a few things on my um, agenda in terms of things that I'd like to talk about. Um, one of the things I'm actually holding in my hand right now, and I'm not going to get into it too deeply because I haven't finished reading the book yet. I think I mentioned this in the last episode. I'm reading this new book called Emotional Justice, A Roadmap to Racial Healing by Esther Arma. I um, heard of this book when I was listening to another podcast, my favorite podcast, um, Ratchet and Respectable with Demetria L. Lucas. Um, she interviewed her um, a couple episodes back. I'm not sure which episode it was, but um, it was rather riveting. Um, and what drew me to the book was the conversation or interview, I think, that the author says she had with um, the late Bishop Desmond Tutu um, with regard to like what were the next steps after the truth and justice um, remember when South Africa um, finally came out of apartheid and Nelson Mandela was freed, and then they started holding those. Um, it wasn't; they weren't court cases. They weren't like you know judicial hearings necessarily, but they were more of um, places where people could come and testify in terms of what they had done wrong. Um, and then they were, in essence, like forgiven. They were the Truth and Reconciliation Commission. Um, so she went, the author did, went to South Africa in 1997 um, to report on the Truth and Reconciliation Commission. And then I'm reading from the book. It says that the focus of the commission was to tell the full truth about, turning the page, the atrocities you committed during apartheid and in return, you get amnesty. It was, right? I don't think I was paying a real close attention to this. And that's sad because I had graduated from college by the time that had occurred um, at the fall of uh, apartheid. And I remember being in college, as a matter of fact, sidebar, when um, at Howard University, when Nelson Mandela was freed um, after what was it, 27 years um, in jail, in prison. And he came to Howard University um, to visit. And we weren't super close to him because, as you can imagine, security and thousands upon thousands of people that descended upon the campus to hear him. But we were quite far away from him. But I promise you could hear a pin drop. It was so quiet when he was speaking. It was almost like you were right there on the stage with him. There were thousands, as, as I said, of people there. But it was so quiet because everybody wanted to hear you know, this man speak. But what was interesting um, in this book, and this was the part that she um, mentioned in her interview with Demetria Lucas, the author did, was that there seemed to be like no follow-up. So all that the Truth and Reconciliation Commission um, did was hear testimony of the atrocities that were committed and people were given amnesty. And then there was no follow-up. It's like, wait, so what's happening with all the um, millions, right? I guess. Um what millions of black people who were, um, you know, black South Africans who were discriminated against for decades and property taken and not given a, you know, equal opportunity to earn education and all this other kind of stuff. And at the time, it didn't seem like there was a plan. It was just like, okay, we're just going to forgive them and let's move on. But anyway, that was the part that I heard her mention in the interview, or she talked about it at length, I guess, in the interview with Demetria Lucas. And it was rather fascinating. I was like, wait a minute, I got to get my hands on this book. And so she lays out a whole 
um, emotional justice, um, love language. Um, and like I said, I haven't gotten through the book. And once I get through it, I think I'll talk a little bit more about it. But get your hands on that one. Emotional Justice, A Roadmap for Racial Healing by Esther Arma. Um, she also has forwards by Brittany Cooper. Um, oh my God, what's the name of Brittany Cooper's book? And Robin D'Angelo. Um, Robin D'Angelo is the author of White Fragility. Um, and I know she's um, lectured or given a talk on um, University of Kentucky's campus. Um, Brittany Cooper is the author of Eloquent Rage. And that's another really good one, too. If you haven't read that one, get your hand on that one. Get your hands on that one, too. All right. Some other things that are on my um, my proverbial radar here. Um, this episode um, is entitled Hair Tales and Wakanda Forever. Like Those are the two big things that I want to talk about. But there are some things I mentioned in the last episode, last Tuesday, as a matter of fact, which was election day here in the USA, USA, um, that I just kind of want to follow up, wanted to follow up on. I know for you, my listening audience, it's really important that we keep that timeline right going. Um, so one thing that I neglected to mention, and this news came out about a, a week ago, um, there was a white UK student, um, Sophia Rosings, I think, what's her name? Rosing, Rosings, no, Rosing, Sophia Rosing. There was a, um, so of course it was a video, um, cell phone video, I think, that um, showed her, she appeared to be um, drunk and um, she was assaulting a black UK student who was working at one of the dorms. Um, her name was, uh, her name is Kyla Spring. And in the video, um, they look to be like, Kyla Spring looked to be kind of like defending herself. And the, the white girl, Sophia, had her hands on her, of course, and she was um, uh, cursing at her and um, also uh, calling her the N-word and, um, um, and as the article that I read about it indicated that um, because she came in and looked drunk, that, you know, it's their responsibility, people that work at the front desk to, you know, ascertain whether or not, um, you know, someone in that uh, state actually like lives, first of all, in the dorm. Um, and if they are drunk because they're underage, um, you know, then they have to follow whatever protocol they're supposed to, supposed to follow. And so the white girl, I guess, gave um, Kyla Spring some well, obviously gave her some pushback, literal pushback, um, both verbally and physically. And then I also read, and you probably have read this too, that she um, assaulted the UK campus police when they came to um, ascertain what was going on with the situation. She was later arrested, um, bailed out. Uh, the video was posted on um, social media. And then I read that it was taken down off of Instagram and perhaps off Twitter too, which we're going to talk about next. Twitter, hot mess. Well, maybe not next, but we're definitely going to get to it. I mean, it's a hotter mess than it was last week, just a week later. News, really, this news cycle is so quick now. It is, oh my goodness, it's not even like a 24-hour news cycle anymore. It just, it keeps churning, like almost at the speed of light. I'm exaggerating just slightly there. Anyway, White girl was arrested um, through her attorney. I had read this last week. Um, it was posted on NBC News. She indicated that she was going to withdraw from the university. I'm sure um, she was feeling like, oh, my life's over and that kind of thing. Um, the black girl, Kyla Spring, spoke at a rally that was held, um, spoke rather eloquently to um, the um, white student. Um, was did I believe she did withdraw. I know through her attorney, she had said that she was going to withdraw. And then the university, the University of Kentucky later banned her. So she can't um, ever re-enroll as a student at the University of Kentucky. I'm not sure um, what Kyla Spring is going to do. I didn't um, follow up on the end of her comments. I believe I read or maybe um, 
saw on social media somewhere that um, she's going to go back home, um, you know, for a while with her family, you know, amongst people who love her. And there was a, a lot of support online for her, as you can imagine, a lot of support um, on the campus for her. Um, the university seemed to um, act rather swiftly. Um, the university president put out a statement, just a lot of stuff like boom, 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 boom. Sorry, this has happened. This is not this type of behavior isn't tolerated on our campus. And yeah, you know, it's funny. Um, it's not funny, haha, funny, but it's interesting how these types of situations come to light now, thanks to the advent of cell phone cameras. Um, I, re I think back to Rodney King um, in the incident in um, Los Angeles and how those police officers were videotaped beating him and the police officers were still found not guilty. Now that wasn't um, cell phone footage that was recorded in that case, but had, had, had it not been for some type of recording device, so many of the, these incidences would occur and no one would know about them. I mean, it'd just be another day, unfortunately, in the life of, you know, random black people. Um, you know, the perpetrators of these racist um, events would just go on with their lives, you know, as if nothing happened. These black people and other black people too would be traumatized, you know, secondhand trauma, that kind of thing. Um, I'm sure, and I hope and pray that Kyla Spring does have a strong, um, you know, support system around her, but it's just, it's, it's so weird how, you know, all of these things come to light now and, you know, then they become more believable, like, oh my God. But honestly, like for black people, it's like, uh, just another day. It literally is. It just, you know, it's Monday. It's an another day that ends in day, the entitlement, you know, the whiteness of it all. Anyway, um, ooh, sorry about the lip smack in there. But yeah, that, I forgot to mention that last week. I don't know how, but with the election, that's what kind of, um, you know, uh, that's what I was a little bit more focused on, but that came up um, also. I'm almost sure that that was um, the weekend before last now. But anyway, um, so a couple of election results, not that I'm CNN or anything like that, but I uh, just wanted to follow up on some of the things that um, I was paying attention to last week, some of the races that I paid attention to, I was paying attention to last week, as you may um, very well know, um, Herschel Walker and Raphael Warnock, Warnock are headed towards a runoff. The runoff is scheduled for December 6th um, because neither one of them got um, over the 50% threshold. That's how it works in Georgia. They're running for Senate. And because of that, they're headed for a runoff, which um, December 6th, like if you think about it, today is Tuesday the 15th. It's right around the corner, right? So they've only got a few weeks to campaign, raise more funds and um, see, you know, see what the um, result of that is going to be. I was trying to do some research on this online, and it was so weird because I'd seen someone post a meme or something about it, and I was thinking, this has got to be a joke. But apparently, you can't vote in Georgia on a Saturday if that Saturday is preceded by um, a, a state holiday or if a holiday, state holiday um, comes after it. And apparently, the state holiday that comes after, before it, I think, is... Um, the day that used to be um, Robert E. Lee's birthday. <laughs> I'm like, wait a minute, what? Um, Robert E. Lee, remember um, Confederate general, apparently in Georgia, um, they used to celebrate his birthday um, up into maybe the last decade. And so even though they no longer, his name is no longer on the holiday, apparently they still have the day off. And so because that holiday is on um, I think it's the 25th of November. Let me double check my calendar. So the 25th of November, <laughs> I think is the day of 
the holiday. That's the day that it's observed. And because of that, they can't have um, early voting on the 26th. That's the point that I'm trying to lead up to. Um, you know, Georgia has, um, and, and Democrats in general, typically push for early voting um, and, you know, um, mail-in ballots um, for people who may not be able to vote on the actual election day. Remember, we talked about that in the last podcast, how, um, in my personal opinion, obviously if it's my opinion, it's personal, but in my personal opinion, how I think it's kind of stupid that elections are held like, you know, gobsmack in the middle of the week, you know, on a Tuesday or something like that, when, you know, it's probably more convenient for a lot more folk to vote on the weekends because, you know, a lot of places um, that are typical Monday through Friday jobs are closed. Now, I know that there are some places that, um, and some people, obviously lots of people who work weekends, but you got a whole lot more folk that work, um, I believe, I would argue, Monday through Friday. And then, you know, you have the early voting option or the weekend option also, you know, for people, um, early voting option, obviously, for people who who wouldn't be able to vote on the weekend if the an actual election was held on a weekend. But anyway, isn't that the dumbest thing you've heard? Why are they still observing Robert E. Lee Day? I mean, seriously, Georgia, come out from among them and be separate. But that's up there with um, was it four states I believe that still um, had on on their ballot whether or not to. Um, include the language of slavery in their state constitutions. And I believe Louisiana upheld it. Like, no, 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 uh, we're still gonna um, use uh, slavery as um, a punishment. It's still gonna be in the constitution. So welcome to 2022, even though the uh, 14th, 13th amendment, which ended slavery was passed when ratified 1865. All right, welcome to the 21st century. Walker and Warnoff. That's still a hot mess. Um, I saw uh, a video clip. Um, Herschel Walker was sitting next to Senator Ted Cruz and they were in a split screen with Lindsey Graham. And I couldn't tell you if you paid me what question Herschel Walker was trying to answer, but he, because it, 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 because it was unintelligible, I believe, um, uh, what's the comedian's name? He hosted a Saturday Night Live, Dave Chappelle, this past weekend. And I believe the term that he used to describe Herschel Walker is observably unintelligent or something like that. It was uh, it was like observably dumb or observably stupid or something like that. But I thought it was the way that he finessed it was pretty cool, even though I've had some issues with Dave Chappelle because of his comments about the LGBTQIA community. Um, I think he hit the nail on the head when he was talking about Herschel Walker in his stand-up and also his comments about Kyrie and Kanye and anti-Semitism and things like that. But yeah, observably stupid. Let's just go with that. Observably stupid. Definitely um, observably stupid. We're going to take... <laughs> Sorry. That's the, I, 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 I'm not going to even apologize for laughing because that man sounds like an idiot. Yeah. What? Yes. Yeah. Literally. If you haven't heard him speak, just go Google Herschel Walker. So yeah, um, runoff Herschel Walker and Raphael Warnock. Um, luckily, the runoff is not for um, control of the Senate. It appears that the Democrats have maintained um, control of the Senate, although they have lost the majority in the House of Representatives. And I believe I saw earlier today um, a news update that said Kevin McCarthy is going to take over as Speaker of the House. Um, a friend of mine was saying <laughs> he thinks the Republicans are probably going to cannibalize each other. It's going to be every man for himself and God for us all. Um, their, their majority in the House is slim. Um, it's small. And um, the majority in the Senate does at least mean that um, judges that are nominated by Biden will get approved. Um, by, because the Democrats are controlling the Senate. Um, Hassan, I kept calling this lady Hassan last week, but um, Hassan, she won um, the senator's race in New Hampshire. 
um, Dr. Oz aw, lost to um, Fetterman in Pennsylvania. Um, kind of another odd, strange race. Both of those, actually, the New Hampshire one and the um, Pennsylvania um, race. Also, sadly, um, Beto O'Rourke uh, lost. Um, that's like I mentioned last week. That was his third um, political race um, in I don't know what four, three, four, five years. Can't be three years. Maybe four years. His um, third race in four years. He's lost. Just goes to show you though the people in Texas and also in Georgia. Back to Georgia. Stacey Abrams lost her race for governor. Um, people in Georgia and Texas. I'm not really sure what they're thinking about with. Um, the re-election of the governors that they put back into office. I mean, I was talking to someone about um, the governor's race in Texas. Um, Texas, I don't think, has a new um, um, energy, um, uh, what do they call it? Um, it's not the mainframe. That's what you mean. That's what I mean, like for a computer. But the energy system, remember, it collapsed a couple of years ago. I don't think that it's been updated. Um, no no um, gun rights um, legislation has been introduced in Texas, even after the Uvalde shooting. Of course, Texas and Georgia are places that um, take a hard line against um, um, women's re reproductive health rights um, with regard to, I mean, abortion rights. Um, so, yeah, not really sure what the voters there are thinking. I was saying, I saw, speaking of thinking, I saw a think piece about Stacey Abrams in terms of like, um, she's old a lot. And considering that she helped to really turn out the vote. Um, in the in the races that put Warnock in office and the other um, guy that won. Um, Senate. So there's two Democratic uh, seats um, in terms of the Senate coming from Georgia. She really put the mechanism in place that um, got people registered to vote, that had early um, voting occur in a lot of places where early voting hadn't occurred, you know, like um, activated, I want to say, a lot of um, um, uh, voters in Georgia. And unfortunately, she has not been the recipient of all of that hard work. Um, someone mentioned in that think piece. Um, and I can't remember who, where I read it. And I apologize for that. It was one of those things that, you know, comes across your timeline and then you click on it, you read it, and then you click away from it. And I was like, I got to remember to screenshot some of these things. So that when I mention them on the podcast, people can go back and look at them if they like. But it is kind of sad that um, it might've been the root um, where I read that it is uh, kind of sad, not kind of, but actually really sad that um, Stacey Abrams, um, a political activist for a long time too, since she was a teenager, she's not going to be the beneficiary of all of that hard work that she's put in. Perhaps um, a larger office might be um, in her future. Um, you know, perhaps she should run for president of the United States. Why not? She's got the bona fides, bona fides. Is that how you pronounce that? I just messed that totally up. Don't make fun of me. Anyway, also um, a bit of positive news in terms of politics, the political scene. Um, what's this? Mm -hmm. Maryland, it's got its first black governor, West. More. Um, he's just the third elected uh black governor. And someone else mentioned this too. And I was like, wait, who was the second? <laughs> who was the second one? I remember L. Douglas Wilder from Virginia. I don't remember how old I was, but I remember him being the first black governor. Listen, I came of age in a time when there were still a lot of first black notables um, you know, were happening across the United States. And so like, that's a big deal. You know, like when black people were on TV, ooh, turn on the television, black people on, you know, oh, first black Miss America, um, first black, you know, all those kinds of things. First black astronaut, first black female astronaut, first black male astronaut. Um, yeah, so a lot of those uh, first black female astronauts from Chicago, right? Um, she has the Afro. Um, and dang it, I can't remember anybody's name today. What is going on with me? Mae Jemison, there it goes. 
Um, Magnair, I think, is the first black male astronaut in space. Um, Magnair. But anyway, if I'm not mistaken, I got to look that up later. Anyway, um, so I remember L. Douglas Wilder from Virginia, but I didn't remember the second um, elected uh, black governor. I was like, who? And like I said, I heard that on somebody else's podcast. That's so why I had to, um, I'm pretty sure it was probably Demetria Lucas's podcast. I listened to her in the Bible recap. I, sorry, I know this is a bad pun, but I do. I listen to the Bible recap religiously. I love their podcast. So I'm reading through the Bible. And um, even though I don't always get a chance to read the daily scripture plan, they're reading through the Bible. Um, the Bible recap will have you reading through the Bible chronologically. And I listen to um, that lady every day and I always hear something brand new. It's always pretty cool. But anyway, those are the ones I listen to like all the time. And so she was like, who's the second elected black governor? And um. Demetria Lucas said that. And I couldn't remember either. I was like, uh, who? And as a matter of fact, if she looked it up in the podcast and told me, I couldn't remember the name because when I went to record, when, you know, when I'm coming to record this podcast and make my notes, um, it was like, who is it? So apparently it's Deval Patrick from Massachusetts. Listen, I took a, a nap on that one. I, ooh, ooh, it was in the mid 2000s. But yeah, he was a um, second elected black governor. So now we're just on the third elected black governor in US history. Wow. Pause, right? Yeah. Crazy times. So yeah, that's my little political wrap up or political roundup um, on to Twitter. If you haven't been paying attention, are you still on Twitter? I think I told you I'm not, you know, not that they miss me, um, but there's a lot of people who have left now. Again, everybody, some of everybody's jumping chip. A lot of advertisers have left Twitter and what has been the second biggest mess, I'll just put it like that, because I'm sure that there are, there are a lot, um, if you want to categorize them. For the first big one was like, what, 30% of its workforce, Twitter's workforce was laid off. And then they were calling back some of those people because it was like, whoops, this whole department's been laid off or been fired. So we actually need you guys to come back and fix this so that Twitter can still run. And hopefully those people, you know, turned around and was like, uh, thanks, but no thanks. Uh-huh. Yeah. You miss me now that I'm gone. Anyway. So the second um, biggest mess was that, was it $8.99 a month, $7.99 a month, that Twitter, um, Elon Musk, now that he is synonymous with, twi with Twitter, what, they were going to charge people $8.99 a month for that blue check verification, well, you know, which has long been, you know, a, a score for a lot of people, um, you know, because it meant that, you know, you had a certain number of followers or that you were um, socially relevant on social media, pun intended. But now they were just saying, hey, for $8.99, you too. <laughs> it's like an infomercial, right? Remember those commercials? $19.99 plus shipping and handling. What was shipping and handling? Anyway, for $8.99, you could be uh, blue check verified on Twitter and everybody and their mama jumped on that. And then there were a whole bunch of parody accounts that were being made. As a matter of fact, I think Kathy Griffith, or is it Griffin, made um, a parody account of Elon Musk and started tweeting as him. And they kicked her off. They banned her from Twitter. But um, I saw a lot of, um, um, I saw a whole like um, slew of them. Um, somebody had shared on social media. Let me pull them up. Some of the ones that I saw and they had me crying. Um, so like Jesus Christ got a blue check on Twitter. Um, and uh, <laughs> yeah, OJ Simpson, somebody did a blue check OJ Simpson saying that he did it. Well, well duh. Um, somebody did a blue check of BP Global. Um, just because we killed the planet doesn't mean we can't miss it. Now, obviously, these are parody accounts. Who lost? Somebody did a blue check of American Girl. You know, the very expensive dolls. And they were talking about uh, Felicity owned slaves. 
and she owned Addie. And I guess Addie and Felicity could sit down and have a conversation about it. It was terrible. Nintendo of America with Mario giving people the middle finger, George Washington. I was rolling around in my grave and I have decided to resurrect great things to come. Um, well, I don't even want to touch that one. Uh, APAC. I, I'm not gonna mess with that one. Uh, Ron DeSantis. I am your, I am your God now. <laughs> An official Ron DeSantis account. I told someone about this one. Uh, a George Bush a blue checked account. Uh, so what if I did 9-11? And then former Prime Minister Tony Blair, same, to be honest. I mean, it just got super messy. And then a friend of mine was telling me about the mess that somebody created with Eli Lilly, the pharmaceutical company. Um, somebody um, got a blue check and, you know, changed your account name to that and said something about the um, insulin, diabetes um, medicine, medication, insulin being free. And then other um, pharmaceutical companies got mad or not mad, but became concerned. And it, um, I think there were some um, financial repercussions causing like Eli Lilly's um, uh, stocks to drop. I have to um, double check uh, some of that, but can you imagine? Like that's what that blue check verification, you know, process um, for eight ninety nine. Not it's not even a process. You just pay. What is it through PayPal? I don't even know. Um, but that's that's what that opened the door to. And I don't understand how they couldn't foresee something, you know, like some kind of major crisis for a number of businesses or a number of individuals could not ensue. How could they not see that? But again, we're talking about Elon Musk, who, you know, for all his wealth, doesn't seem to be the brightest, um, you know, the sharpest knife in the drawer, you know, the brightest apple in the bunch or however that euphemism goes. Yeah. Um, you know, again, I think I mentioned this last week, just because you amass great amounts of wealth does not necessarily make you very smart. You know, in some cases, it just makes you greedy. Look at these business decisions. I mean, if that's what we're going to talk about in terms of intelligence, look at these business decisions that he's made at the helm of Twitter for what, two, three weeks now? Has it been a month? Has it been a whole month? And if it has, my God. Um, I saw another tweet or post or something, um, perhaps on Instagram, and it said um, Elon Musk is a... Uh, a case study in how to be a millionaire, you know, just start off with a billion dollars and then lose, lose it. Um, Dave Chappelle alluded to as much with um, regard to his stand up in uh, regarding Kanye West. Um, he says so at some point in, in his uh, relationship with Kanye West, that Kanye West said that uh, billionaires don't wear gold chains, that, you know, millionaires wear gold chains. And then Dave Chappelle said that, you know, where, wherever they were when uh, Kanye West had said that, that Dave himself, that he started tucking his, his gold chain, what it was, a hair bone chain, I don't know, Cuban link chain, I don't know, uh, started tucking it inside his shirt. But then, you know, after Kanye West, you know, fumbled the proverbial bag um, to the tune of a couple of billion dollars himself, uh, he, Dave Chappelle said he told, um, or that he would tell Kanye, you might as well go and get that chain now, brother. <laughs> Back to millionaire status it is. Now, of course, I'm not sitting on a million dollars and I'm laughing at them, right? I got a lot of nerve, but yeah, I'm also not the head of Twitter. I have, I didn't just try to buy it out and then to fire all these people. And that guy, Jack Dorsey, you know, still, I'm still mad at him too. But somebody was talking about them. I think Lovey, um, Lovey Ajayi, she, um, a Chicago native. Well, um, in terms of the United States, I think her family, um, I can't remember what country they're from, maybe Nigeria, but she went to Whitney Young High School too, like I did. 
Um, but she talked about that, you know, the audacity, the caucasity of um, these mediocre white guys making all of these decisions. But, you know, you can't tell them that they're not, you know, the titans of industry and, you know, sitting on top of the world and don't have a clue what they're doing. Oh, somebody made a parody of account of Tesla. And I don't know how long that account was up, um, a blue checked account. And I mean, they were uh, tweeting about exploding batteries and cars cutting off and recalls and all of this stuff about um, um, other things about them being sued. I had read about that or at least heard about it, I think, on NPR a couple months ago. That there was a big lawsuit um, involving Tesla and involving its business practices with regard to, um, uh, you know, fostering um, racism amongst um, the staff. There was some, um, I think it was a black guy who was suing them, um, you know, a hostile work environment type situation. And I was like, ooh, but not shocked. I mean, again, you know, without lawsuits, without um, cell phone cameras, this is just another day at work, just another day at the desk at University of Kentucky. Oh yeah, back to that. Um, let's see, what else do I have? Oh my God, last week, y'all, Nick Cannon was on baby number 11. This week, he's on baby number 12. I saw another meme. It was like what the United States is, or maybe it was the world, what the world's going to look like. And I don't know, what was it, 2050 or something like that? Let's say 20 or 30 years into the future. And they were all like um, <laughs> photos of a variation of Nick Cannon's face because he got all these kids. Good Lord. Just a week ago, baby 11 and this week, baby number 12. Um, he, he's doing a lot, literally doing a lot. So before I move on to um, my last two topics, I just wanted to backtrack for a second about the Eli Lilly situation at Twitter. So it turns out that yes, um, <laughs> I'm reading a Forbes article online and it says for $8, um, someone uh, cost Eli Lilly um, billions of dollars in stock. Apparently their stock um, price tumbled 4.37% um, um, as the blue check um, parity account um, mentioned that uh, or said that um, insulin was now free, which of course is good for people who um, buy insulin. The unfortunate thing is it's not true, right? It wasn't true. And so um, because these um, uh, pharmaceutical companies charge a premium for insulin, um, and them saying it is free, you know, the repercussions, the ripple effect in the stock market, um, crazy, crazy, crazy times. So I was also reading in um, this Forbes.com uh, article, they were saying that, um, so Elon Musk closed the deal, $44 billion to buy Twitter um, back on October 28th. So y'all, it has not been a whole month yet. Just We're just November 15th, right? Middle of the month. Eh, crazy times. And so it was just on November 5th that they rolled out that um, subscription service called Twitter Blue, where you can buy a blue um, check mark, uh, you know, a verification um, indicator for just $8, $7.99, I guess a month. Crazy, crazy. And again, the person in this Forbes article asks the same questions that I do. Like, how is it that Elon Musk at all did not, why didn't they think that through? I mean, just the parody accounts themselves in terms of making fun of people and things like that, but that there would, wouldn't be some like, you know, business repercussions, some financial repercussions for some some big time companies like I didn't even think about, you know, trying to do something kind of like devious. Like, <laughs> I don't know. Is it devious? Uh, devious like that. But I mean that I don't you know, I'm, I don't own a billion dollar company. I, I don't get paid to think that, you know, far ahead. Now, the parody accounts of other people that exist. Oh, yeah, I'm, I would I would have been all over that if I had the time. 
Definitely. I would have been all over that. Um, Herschel Walker, just, you know, give me a blue check and just start, you know, typing random, um, you know, things on a keyboard, words that don't even make sense. You know, just a whole bunch of vowels and a whole bunch of consonants next to each other. You know, Herschel Walker, <laughs> I approve this ad. <laughs> I'm really just laughing at myself. Are you all laughing with me? I hope so. I can't hear you. All right. Moving on. Last two topics. Um, Hair Tales. Have you watched that? It's um a series Lord, I messed up this lady's name. So it's executive produced by Oprah Winfrey, Tracy Ellis Ross, Michaela, sorry, Michaela Angela, not Michael Angela, Michaela Angela Davis. Um, and it's a six episode series so far. I'm not sure if any other episodes are in the pipeline, but um, so they mainly focus on one um, person per episode, six different women. And then there's um conversation kind of like, um, um, not kind of like, but in a hair salon. So there's a conversation among some stylists and um, some of their um, clients um, in a hair salon and then peppered in between the interviews with Tracy Ellis Ross and each of the women that are featured um, in each episode. It's so peppered in between the interview and the women in the hair salon talking and getting their hair done. There's also like some historical um, pictures, some little, you know, facts about um, that relate to the um, episode, um, like the Crown Act. Um, you know, some background information about that. It's been really cool. So the episodes, it's been really cool. So the episodes have centered on um, Issa Rae, um, well, Oprah Winfrey, she was the first one. Oprah Winfrey, Issa Rae, Representative Ayanna Presley. I think her name is, is it Chica um, or Chica? I'm messing it up. She's an artist, um, a rap artist. Uh, Marseille Martin, is it, or is it Marseille? I'm messing it up. I'm messing up everybody's name. Chloe Bailey and Chloe Bailey. Chloe was the last one, I think, the last one that I watched. Yeah, so I've watched each of the episodes and they brought up some interesting things for me. I, I read one review of it. I think it was in the Hollywood Reporter, I think, that said that they thought, uh, the writer of the piece, the um, review, said that they thought that the episodes should have um, centered um, some more time on just, you know, average um, black women, as opposed to like the celebrities. Um, even though I don't think Ayanna Presley would necessarily be considered a celebrity, she's a, a congressperson. But I, I understand why um, they would, you know, lump her into that category because she has, a, she does have pretty a pretty high profile, and especially since she um, shared her story of uh, dealing with um, alopecia. Remember when she was first elected, and I didn't know she was from Chicago. Did you know she was from Chicago? Um, when she was first elected, she uh, wore braids and I think um, twists, like Senegalese twists. And so it was like pretty cool to see someone, you know, going to, you know, Congress, you know, wearing like a, a protective hairstyle, a natural, a natural um, hairstyle, um, not, you know, not the press and go or the silk press or relaxed hair. I was like, oh, okay, I see you, sis. And then somebody say, and then, yeah. Then she um, later revealed that she was actually um, dealing with alopecia and that she had lost all of her hair. And if you listen to um, the interview, or if you watch it, watch the interview between her and Tracy Ellis Ross. Um, she she gets real um, down to it. Talks about how you know her hair was coming out in clumps, and she even lost her eyebrows and her eyelashes. Like oh, and I can't remember. It's not traction traction alopecia. That's the type of alopecia um, or hair loss that um, is a result of uh, constant con constant tension, the constant pulling of hair. And so then it ends up getting pulled out by the root. And, um, you know, then there's a uh, hair loss. I think traction alopecia though, um, 
is reversible. I'm not entirely sure, but the type of alopecia that she has um, is not reversible. And so she is like totally bald. But she did. She shared her story. And I remember when I saw it, it went viral. And she like she had been wearing wigs. And I think she she just decided, at least that's what she said in the interview, that she wasn't going to wear wigs anymore. And in the video that she um, you know, put out online that she released where she took the wig off and she was um bald, I thought I thought that was so brave. I was quite impressed with her willingness to um, you know, reveal both figuratively and literally, um, you know, who she what she was dealing with, who she really was underneath the wigs, underneath the wigs, and um, you know, to share her plight. And of course, there's, you know, tons and tons of women, um, particularly African American women who do deal with um um alopecia. Most famously, I think recently was Jada Pinkett, um, which was of course, the comment about her hair that got Chris Rock slapped at the Oscars earlier this year by Jada's husband, um, Will Smith. Um, and he made a joke about her being in the next G.I. Jane. And if you remember that movie, um, Demi Moore was bald. She had to shave her head because she was in the military. I think she was in the Marines. I'm not sure. But anyway, I thought that was that was an interesting and that was an interesting like takeaway from that episode. All of the episodes that I have watched, though, all six of them, they've had some something that you can pull away, um, something that you can you know take with you, even if you're not a black woman. Um, if you you know like sit down and watch it, it'll give you some insight into what black women deal with re with regard to our hair because it's so much more than just you know showing up in the world with your hair. Um, some of the things that I wrote down um, in terms of like that stood out with me was that, that last episode, like I said, was Chloe Bailey. And if you're familiar with her and her sister, they um, they were locks and apparently they've been locked or had their hair locked since they were Chloe said since she was three. Her mom has locks. And so she locked um, Chloe. Her sister name is Hallie. Um, Hallie is the one that's going to be um, the Little Mermaid. And uh their hair has been locked. Um, people sometimes call them dreadlocks. I know I used to also call them dreadlocks. And then I guess I read, not I guess, but I read that um, that term dread um, that precedes locks um, is actually um, imposed by um, Europeans when they met, um, encountered people whose hair was locked and they said that the hair was dreadful. And so I don't call it dreadlocks anymore. Although it's kind of like the N word. Some people like, you know, uh, try to take back that word and, you know, like reconstitute it, I guess. Um, and reuse it, but I, I'll just I just use locks. My hair is locked now. Um, I've been locked for a year. But Hallie was saying, um, <laughs> one of the ladies in the episode was saying, and I've heard this too. Like, oh my god, Pe you know, people have told her, oh my god, you look so good natural. I don't think I would look good natural. And I remember another um, African American actress was saying that that was just the weirdest statement that she heard. It was in Chris Rock's. Um, um, documentary about hair. And I can't remember that actress's name. She was in that movie, The Devil Wears Prada. She was the black chick in The Devil Wears Prada. The, the black chick, pretty much. But anyway, <laughs> I don't remember there being like more than one. But I remember she was interviewed in that um, hair documentary by Chris Rock. And she said she just thought that was the weirdest statement that the way that her hair naturally grows out of her scalp, you know, and, and that's natural. But it wouldn't look right on other people. That the way that your hair naturally comes out of your your head, that that doesn't look good on you. But that's how it that's how it comes. It's like when you open up a dozen eggs, and you open them up, they're white, right, or they're brown, depending on where you buy your eggs. Whole food choppers. But yeah, like how is that doesn't make sense. Oh, natural hair looks good on you, but I don't think that would look good on me. 
mm, that's weird. Now, let me also put this little uh, caveat out there. I ain't got no problem with women who relax their hair. I was a relaxed black woman for a long time. Um, for the majority of my life, as a matter of fact, I relaxed my hair. My mom relaxed my hair. I want to say when I was in fourth grade because my hair is thick and she probably, you know, has some difficulty taming it. I remember getting my hair pressed uh, with the hot comb on the stove, um, you know, before those special events. Oprah talked about this in her um, interview with Tracy Ellis Ross in the first episode, you know, like before Easter or before Christmas, before the, you know, Christmas program or the Easter program at church. I remember getting my hair pressed and holding my ear and me being sleepy and my head dipping that pressing comb would touch the back of my ear and that wake me right on up that skin's <laughs> touching that comb, like, oh, oh yeah, I'm awake now. Um, but that was like, a, that was a signifier that, that indicated that, you know, I needed to get pretty. That's what Oprah said, you know, for a special event, that straight hair was for special occasions, right? And your everyday curly hair. Um, and I hate the hair typing too, that, that 1A through 4B or C, I, oh, I think that's just, it's so backwards. There's a company out there that does the hair typing. Um, if you have no idea what I'm talking about, you have to look it up. There's a company out there that does hair that does hair typing backwards. So like 4C um, uh, being the curliest. That that comes first. Like yeah, like yeah. Don't don't make you know the straight wavy hair 1A and then the more cur coarse uh, tightly curled hair is 4C. That's the type, and I just kind of gave it away there. So now I did your homework for you. Yay! But yeah, um, so that's what Oprah, you know, mentioned in her interview that, you know, that straight hair, that was for special occasions. And that's what made you pretty. You know, you had to get prettier. And I remember that, too. And I was like, I, I, that didn't dawn on me, I guess, as a young child. But I did get the whole point of, you know, the relaxer, the, you know, the relaxed hair, the straightened hair for black women is called a relaxer. We relax the curl in our hair. And I remember that. I remember going through that and, you know, waiting those four to six weeks um, so that the relaxer doesn't overlap. So the chemicals don't overlap to get straight hair. And I just mentioned that today to some of my students. I wanted to be like the girls on the Just For Me relaxer box. Just for me. That was a commercial or dark and lovely, you know, the relaxer boxes. Um, and then come to find out, here we go, years later, those girls didn't even have relaxers. They had silk presses. They had press and curls. They, their hair was um, thermally straightened, not chemically straightened. I was like, they sold us a lie. You live in a glass house of lies or however that, that line goes from the movie. I just messed it up. Anyway, um, House of Illusions. But yeah, I remember going through that. I remember the whole when I transitioned into natural hair, um, actually twice. I did the natural hair route twice. This is the longest that I've been natural. The first time I was natural for a long, long time. And then I wanted a short hairstyle a little short haircut, kind of pixie, but a little bit longer in the top. You know what I'm talking about. It's pretty popular. And so the stylist that I was going to at the time told me that I would need to relax my hair in order to main maintain that style, even though I was coming, even though I was going to get my hair done like weekly, I was getting it um, thermally straightened every week, blow dried and flat ironed and curled every week. But in order to maintain that straight style, she thought that I would need a relaxer, which I think was interesting because by the time I actually did cut my hair, oh my God, this was, ooh, a good while ago, maybe, oh, I don't remember when it was that I cut my hair short the first time as an adult. Um, uh, I probably didn't need a relaxer because I was getting my hair straightened. So um, every week I was straightening the curl right on out of it every week. Um, so it was, um, I couldn't wear it like fluffy, like how I ended up um, really, really liking, uh, liking to wear my hair um, 
fluffy and puffy and afro-y. Um, but anyway, so that time after I cut my hair, let's say mm, around 2006, we'll call it that. Let's say I cut it in 2006. Prior to that, I had been natural. I had stopped relaxing my hair out of college. And um, this is my own hair tail. <laughs> That's funny. And uh, like I said, I cut it. Um, I was getting it thermally straightened and then I cut it um, in 2006 uh, short and then I stopped relaxing it. Um, and that's the last time I had a relaxer, let's say around 2006, 2007, probably. And then I was going through those stages where I was like relaxing the edges because I was still getting it kind of like tapered in the back or around the sides. Um, but after that, I stopped and I haven't had a relaxer. Let me see, am I telling the truth? I think that's correct. I haven't had a relaxer since then. So at least since 2007, Definitely. I don't think I've had a relaxer since 2007. Now, I've cut my hair a couple of times uh, since then. Um, when uh, Black Panther came out the first time, um, the first Black Panther, which I'm going to next, when it first came out a couple of years ago, the first um, installment, um, I was um, inspired by the Dora Milaje. And I think I'm mispronouncing their name too. I'm sorry, y'all. <laughs> I need some more coffee. Um, I was inspired by them. Um, you know, the women who were the warriors in the kingdom, the Wakandan kingdom. And so I shaved my head bald too. And then it was um, not all, well, I take that back. I didn't shave it bald, but I shaved it way down low. And so what I did have left, I bleached it like, you know, like white blonde. And then I've uh, let it uh, grow out. That's not the first time I cut it short. I take that back. Back um, in 2014, I cut my hair pretty short thin, but it wasn't as short as I cut it um, uh, what just a few years ago when Black Panther um, first came out. So I've I've gone through a couple of um, big chops, I guess you could call them, um, where I've I've had really big afros and then I've cut them all the way down. And um, you know I've worn braids. I've worn. Um, I had a sew in a couple of years ago too. Didn't like it that much though. I mm, and I did the glue in weave too. I did that for a while. That was oh my god when I was in college. That was a long long time ago. Um, yeah, I did glue in um, and then I did a sew in. I've done a sew in. Didn't like that that much. Um, I mean, and again, no shade to women who, you know, wear weaves and wigs and all that other kind of stuff. Um, I think that's one of the cool things about being a black woman. Uh, we change up our hair so much. Um, you know, I love it when <laughs> I go to work one day over the weekend, I go get my hair braided, you know, like waist length braids and then come back and all of my colleagues, you know, all of the white colleagues are confused. Like, um, did you take some hair growth serum or something? Um, not so much anymore. I think um, white folk are pretty much used to black women going and getting some extra hair. Um, white women do that too, just for the record. You know, they get extensions, clip-ins and all that other kind of stuff. I don't think they wear them as often though as black women. I think we change up our hair um, so much. Uh, I remember, I got to put this in there too while I'm talking about hair tails. I remember when I was in elementary school, well, actually this was middle school, middle, middle school and high school. And I had a friend and I don't want to call her name because uh, I haven't okayed this story with her, but she was a natural hair girl. And she had this thick, beautiful head of hair. And for some stupid reason, um, some other friends, we were trying to pressure her into relaxing her hair. And she was afraid. She's like, no, because you know relaxers can burn. They can burn the scalp. She didn't want to relax her hair. Um, and sometimes she would like get it straightened, but not super straight. And she still wear it kind of puffy and poofy, I guess sometimes we call it. And so now in retrospect, when I think about how gorgeous her hair looked, I was like, oh my God, I hope she never relaxed her hair. Because we were definitely the doofuses on the other side of that. So I'm like, girl, you should relax your hair. For what? Why? She had all this beautiful, 
thick, wonderful um, uh, black uh, natural hair, unrelaxing. Here we is walking around with scalp burns and all that kind of stuff. Oh my God, I could spend literally a whole episode um, on my whole, on my own hair tail. I remember um, I just shared this with a friend the other day, going back to college. I think it was my sophomore year and I wanted to get a relaxer on my way back from Chicago to DC. And I went to a, um, a stylist, you know, black people, we call them hairdressers. I went to a hairdresser who I really did not know very well. And she took one look at my hair and thought I needed um, a super relaxer. And the thing about my hair is, even though it's super thick, um, I, I, it will lay down for a relaxer. It's a chemical. Like, so it, my hair will be like, all right, I'm good. I'm good. <laughs> it would relax really, really right away. Like, you know, right away. But anyway, this lady put a super relaxer in my hair and that bad boy started burning. I don't know anybody who really needs a super relaxer. Honestly, I know we do the whole hair typing and all that kind of stuff. And, you know, black women, we tend to talk kind of negatively about our our hair, our crowns. I like what Ayanna Presley said, just a little sidebar. She's like, you don't need hair to have a crown. That's right. Anyway, um, she put this super relaxer in my hair and um, that bad boy started burning my scalp. And I remember I took the train back to school that year. Um, so, you know, you're on the train uh, several hours between Chicago and D.C. And I, she had wrapped my hair and I was unwrapping my hair and, you know, brushing it down or combing it down. And like tufts of hair were coming out. Um, and then, you know, like my scalp was stuck. Pieces of my scalp was stuck to the in, end of the hair. Oprah talked about that, too, about having that experience where she went to some fancy snooty um, hair salon in New York because um, as a she was a, a news anchor and they told her that her hair was too big um, to be on camera. This was when she was first starting out. And the pictures of Oprah's hair, her natural hair, when she was a young woman, um, you know, just starting out as a news anchor, beautiful hair. Oh my God. And they told her it was too big. So she went to some salon and the hair was just holding on. I was like, oh my God. So when I was watching Oprah tell this story, I was like, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I was remembering my own hair tale about her hair was coming out in clumps. And some other woman, some other black woman, I think that worked at the same um, news station that she did, told her like, girl, you gotta you gotta let it go. That hair is, is not, it's not there anymore, it's gone. And so she took it to a barber and she cut the rest of her hair off. And so Oprah had like a little teeny weeny Afro um, uh, for a little while. And I was like, oh, that's how that came about. But I've gone through my own teeny weeny Afro um, time too. And I remember after my hair was burned that um, by that super relaxer uh, in my, at the start of my sophomore year of college, um, I got my hair cut really, really short then. Um, they called it like the Caesar cut. Remember that? Tony Braxton was rocking that haircut for a while. Um, and it was um, very much very popular. Remember Halle Berry's um, kind of pixie cut was also super popular. Um, but like I said, I've, I've had my own hair tail. I've had people tell me, oh my God, you know, I don't think my hair would look good, natural. Um, and I just kind of, I usually encourage people on the inside, I roll my eyes, but I understand where it comes from because we've been, we black people, women have been conditioned to think that, um, you know, we need our hair to be, you know, fried. They used to say fried, dyed and laid to the side, that it needs to be, you know, a la, you know, European women, that it needs to be, you know, long and straight and silky and blown out. And, you know, that little wavy curl thing that people do. And again, I'm not hating on that. Not at all. It's a good look. Um, some women, um, you know, can naturally, black women can naturally achieve that. Some women, black women wear weaves, sew-ins to achieve that. Some people, some black women wear wigs um, to achieve that look. And I'm not hating on them. What I'm saying is, um, or what I'm suggesting is that it's not, it's not necessary, right? You know, however you decide to wear your hair is up to you, but you don't have to adopt um, a Eurocentric um, hairstyle or Eurocentric aesthetic in order to be considered, you know, 
done up and you don't need to adopt that aesthetic also for special occasions. That's one thing I do like about the Bailey sisters that um, they love their locks and Chloe was saying, you know, she'll pop a weave or a wig rather on top of it. Um, she's wrapped her locks in blonde hair before. I thought that was cute too. As a matter of fact, my um, my locks are blonde in the front. I've got half blonde and half black locks right now. Um, but she was like, you know, I, I really do enjoy my hair and I like the versatility that locks um, gives me. But she was like, I don't think I'll comb them out or take them out anytime soon. And I was kind of happy to hear her say that. I like that. And she's a rather young woman. I think she's like 23 something like that. I was like, dang, she's a baby. Um, but she's like, I like the, I like, you know, she, she loves her lock. She's had them since she was three and, you know, they represent who, who she is. Um, is it Marseille or Marseille? Um, her first name is actually Kayla Martin, the girl from Blackish. So she played, um, Tracy Ellis's Ross, Tracy Ellis Ross's daughter on Blackish. She, um, she uh, she talked about, um, you know, like she wears her hair in a lot of protective styles, a lot of wigs and things like that, because, you know, people in Hollywood don't always some of the hairstylists don't always know how to treat black hair. And it can really get, you know, eaten up by processing. Um, and Oprah, too. Oprah's got, um, you know, she has a, a stylist, you know, you know, a hairstylist. I think for a long time it was that guy, Andre Walker. Um, and now she she's she has another one another hairstylist now, but she's like, she wears, you know, a lot of protective styles and wigs and things like that, because, you know, the day-to-day -day maintenance of her hair, you know, for TV specials, and especially like she was doing her show on a daily basis recording, you know, it could just be a lot of wear and tear on the natural hair. But um, I really liked, I really like hair tales. I like what the women, um, I like, even, even though they're celebrities, I think that their story still resonates with me, just, you know, um, regular old non-celebrity black woman, um, teacher, you know, mom, daughter, wife, a uh, child of God, um, part-time villain, <laughs> part-time bully. Somebody said that, a student said that about me today. She's like, you're a little bit of a bully. I was like, oh, thanks. <laughs> I took it as a compliment because all I'm trying to do is just bully the kids into you know, paying attention, do their work and actually get you an education. How about that? So I'll take it. I'll be a bully in that regard. But again, I like the series, Hair Tales. I was trying to see if I missed anything that I written down that I wanted to um, add. Um, oh yeah. So I talked a little bit about that, you know, black hairstyles are not considered professional. That's the whole point of the crown act, you know, that traditional black hairstyles, braids, um, locks, um, afros, um, puffs or anything like that, um, that they're considered, you know, professional, natural, and, you know, and we need to leave them alone, leave black women alone, however they want to wear their hair, just leave them alone. Um, You've probably seen a couple of those um, situations where some black men have uh, that one uh, wrestler, I think uh, the wrestling, um, what is he called? The referee made him cut his locks out right there um, at the event, at the wrestling match, made him cut his hair. Um, a black girl, I think this was in hair tales. A black girl was made, uh, was told that she would have to remove the beads from her hair in order to participate in a softball game. What did the beads on the end of her hair have to do with the price of what? Nothing. Just, ugh, it, it just doesn't make any sense. Um, so um, that's one thing too, I'm trying to instill in my own daughter, um, the love for her own beautiful, curly, thick, um, black, black girl hair. Um, she loves her hair. She loves wearing it in puffs. And of course, the only problem is she doesn't like wearing, um, her, uh, her, her satin cap at night. And, um, and so those puffs get a little bit tangled because by the time she wakes up in the morning, sometimes they get dry and black hair can, especially natural hair can get really, really dry. 
And so then they'll get tangled. And when it's time for us to take it down, it takes a long time to detangle. And mommy has to be very, very gentle. But she loves wearing her hair out and she loves her puffs. She's like, that's, what did she say? That, that's her thing. But she uses another term for it. Like instead of saying, that's my thing. Um, but she does love wearing her hair in puffs. And so I hope that she continues to, um, you know, love her hair. The other girls that she goes to school with, I'll see a lot of the black girls, they wear their hair in natural styles, a lot of braids. Um, I, I didn't learn how to braid to the scalp. Y'all pray for me. I'm learning. <laughs> it's actually a little group on uh, social media of uh, black girls who didn't learn how to braid when they was growing up. That would be me. I didn't learn how to braid to the scalp. I can do a big French braid, but you know, all those fancy braided styles, a lot of moms can do those at home. Yeah, I would have to take Delaney somewhere to get her hair braided. And yeah, her and the braider might fall out because Delaney is also very tender headed. Y'all pray for her. Anyway, I was supposed to talk about Wakanda forever in this episode, but I think I might have to save it um, as an add on special episode, maybe um, later on in the week, because this one is running a little long and I don't want to bore you with it. Although Wakanda forever is not boring. Child, I cried. I did. Like I was trying to hold in my tears at the beginning. Have you seen it? I don't want to give you any spoilers if you haven't seen it yet. Come on, go see it. So you got a few more days. I'll um I'll publish another episode um with another special Wakanda Forever episode where we'll talk about it in a little bit more depth. Um, because I know a million think pieces have already been written about it, and that's fine because it's 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 worthy. But the way that they handle the death of T'Challa, um uh, you know, Chaswick Bozeman is the actor that um, portrayed T'Challa in the last movie. And also in that one, was it Civil War movie? It was a um, an Avengers movie where he was, um, well, obviously um, Avengers Endgame and Infinity War, he was T'Challa. And then there was another one um, where he was T'Challa also. But anyway, they handled um, his death, I thought, very well. It's not really, I, I didn't know, you know, like how many different ways you can deal with it in terms of by not dealing with it. And I thought it was very smart um, of Ryan Coogler as the director. And I think he wrote this one too. Um, the way that he handled it, smart dude, smart dude. It was it was good. And like I said, I cried at the end. I was <laughs> sniffling a little bit, but it was good. The action was good. Um, I was talking to another friend about the villain. The villain's backstory was pretty good too. It wasn't just, ooh, ha, 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 ha. I'm going to take over the world. It wasn't one of those type of, you know how we used to demonize everybody from, you know, Eastern Europe, you know, it was the Russians and, you know, they were all the evil villains and everybody that had, you know, these, these cheesy European accents, you know, they were all the Bond villains at least. But now this guy, he didn't just become a villain, just become a villain. He has a, he has a reason to be the villain, not more. Um, you know, protect, he had to protect his foe. But anyway, I said, we're going to talk about that in um, a subsequent um, episode. We'll do that one in the next episode so that this one doesn't run too long. But as usual, um, thank you for tuning in. I appreciate it. I hope um, that you tune in for my next episode and uh, whatever you do, stay classy, keep smiling. And if you live in, in Georgia, please go vote. <laughs> and thanks for stopping by. <laughs>